I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I don't seem to be able to get completely away from this spiritual aspect of where we live and what we are doing today. Um, I've said it many times, what's happening around us in the world is spiritual. Um, uh, There's a spiritual war going on around us, a battle that the powers of hell are fighting the powers of God. And there is just no doubt about that. On a personal level, we deal with that in our daily lives. And this is a very familiar passage of Scripture uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Are you there? Not 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 yet. Chapter, chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. I want to make sure everybody's there. Verse 3, it says, Though we walk uh, in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in readiness to avenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. God, I pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds today. Teach us your word. Lord, let your spirit anoint this message today as this frail man tries to bring forth the splendor and glory of heaven. Lord, I just pray that you'll help me to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul here is using fighting words. Now, when you think of Christians, you don't think of fighting. You don't, you know, we're not supposed to be fighters. We're supposed to be lovers, right? We're supposed to be the peaceful people. But Paul is talking about warfare, battle. When we've heard the terms spiritual warfare, if you've been around the church a long time, you've heard the term spiritual warfare. You've heard it many, many times. And there are a myriad of arguments about what spiritual warfare is, what exactly that means. Uh, And we've been over it before here in, in previous sermons that we don't fight with flesh and blood. We don't fight with flesh and blood Uh, weaponry and armor, we fight on a spiritual plane. There is a spiritual war, and and if God opened our eyes right now to what was going on around us right here as we're sitting in church in our nice, comfortable, padded uh, chairs, we would be shocked at what was happening around us in the spirit realm. But we don't have uh, physical eyes or spiritual eyes to see that in that way. It It would shock us. But this is a, there's a lesson here. In verse 4 it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds are a fortress. It is a, a fort or a fortification that is designed primarily to be defensive. When Britain realized that World War II was right around the corner and they were going to end up having to fight the Nazis, they built 28,000 little fortresses, uh, basically pillboxes, and surrounded the, the, what did they surround? The weak areas of their island. You didn't ha- you don't have to fortify the strength, the strong areas. You have to fortify the weak areas. And they, they spread those out and those little pillboxes were uh, basically huge, well not huge, they were, I don't know, 40, 50 feet in diameter, and they were um, 
extremely strong with steel and rock and concrete. They were designed to withstand a direct hit of artillery. They were designed to, to give the person inside a, a, an area to fire out on a field of vision where the people trying to come at them would not have the same benefit. They were covered. Uh, it's a protective place where you try to fortify what is weak. Now, the Japanese had this down pat when we were fighting uh, them over in the island hopping that was going along in the Pacific. Sometimes they would end up, the Americans or the Allies would end up on those shores and those pillboxes would be up on the, uh, on the mountains overlooking the, the beach and the, the Americans were just pinned down and they, they would fire at them. They would, they would, uh, the ships would open up with their 16-inch guns, anything to try to neutralize those things and they couldn't do it. They were terrible little fortifications that, that, that held and, and thousands of people were killed just trying to figure out and somebody finally figured out the best way to fight them is with fire. And so they'd actually hit them with flamethrowers and burn the people inside and, and take them that way. That was kind of graphic, wasn't it? And <laughs> But that's how they, they finally had to get the right weaponry. If we're going to fight in the spiritual battle, we have got to have the right weaponry to fight the battle. Psalms 9, nine says, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed and a stronghold in times of trouble. When we are in that time of trouble, those strongholds are fortifications that give us strength and give us the ability to stand. We, have to, we, we know the devil wants us to fall. He wants us to give up. He wants us to throw in the towel. He constantly is fighting to do that, to just get us to lay down and quit fighting this battle. Paul reminds us that we live in a battle that we fight every day. And these strongholds, they often are concealed. See, strongholds can be on, the, on God's side or on the devil's side. And there, there are strongholds in our lives that are hidden inside of here. The world doesn't see them. People outside don't necessarily see them. And sometimes we don't even face them. Those strongholds that are inside of our heart, our heart that, 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 that are concealed and hidden and that keep us from our relationship with God, that keep us from living in victory, that keep us from living in joy and in peace. God wants us to be joyful people. The devil wants to take that joy away from us. So these fortifications, these strongholds are, are hidden. They're fortified. They're carefully placed. You didn't just put those those pillboxes anywhere. You looked and you said, this is the way the enemy's going to come in. He's going to come in right here. So let's put a couple of them right here and right here so we can cover that area of advance. They're very carefully placed. The devil knows your weakness. And your weakness is your individual weakness. It's not my weakness. It's not the person next to you. It's not your spouse's weakness. It's yours. And every one of us has them. And the devil knows it. He knows it better than we do. And he's going to put up strongholds and, 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 and try to keep that area of advance so the Spirit of God cannot get in and take care of that problem in your life. He puts up those strongholds in your life to keep you from having victory over that thing in your life. They're guarding that valuable part in your heart. They're placed in anticipation of an attack. See, the, the devil knows... And, and what he's talking about here are, are the Satan's strongholds in your life. 
or Satan's strongholds in the church. And he places them knowing that the Spirit of God is fighting on your behalf. And so the enemy puts up those strongholds anticipating an attack from God. Anticipating that it's going to be an attack. See, when we... And you were there too, I'm sure. When I was a kid, and I've told you before, I got saved about 500 different times. You know, my grandma would drag me. She would drag me to some meeting somewhere trying to get me straightened out. She would make me sit there and listen to that preacher. And by the time he was done, I went up to the front and I was like, Oh God, oh God, oh God. God save me. I was so messed up. And then I got back out and I hung out with the same old friends doing the same old thing with the, at the same old places. And it wasn't long I was doing exactly what I did before. And then Grandma would grab me and drag me to another meeting. You know how that goes. And so it, it's a battle that rages constantly in our lives. As, and these... The devil tries to build up those strongholds so that the Spirit of God cannot accomplish in you what he's trying to get done. He puts up strongholds. I don't want to lose this one. So the devil starts building those strongholds in anticipation of that attack. What what does a stronghold do in your life? It paralyzes you. Have you ever dealt with somebody who lives in the spirit of fear? They're paralyzed. Their life has become obsessed with fear. All they are is afraid. They're afraid of anything. My wife loves German shepherds. So I had a, we, we knew a lady who raised champion German shepherds. And so she was retiring one. So I went and got that beautiful show dog. It was a gorgeous, big German, gorgeous animal. Scared of everything. <laughs> A gnat could fly by and that dog was in terror. It was horrible. You could barely get the animal outside. It's this big, beautiful dog with a big, long teeth and it was terrified of anything. If a kitten meowed, it would run the other way. (laughs) You know, so many Christians live like that. They're paralyzed because of fear in their lives. And even though they have the Spirit of God at their very disposal, they don't even know how to use it. And they live in, in, in a paralyzed fear that those, those strongholds in your life will, will make you ineffective. You can't do anything for God because it's gripping you all the time. It'll pile on guilt in your life. Because you have failed enough times to, have you, to give you lots of reason to be guilty. You have done enough things wrong that you can live in, a, in guilt all the time. And the devil would love to keep you there. Those strongholds will destroy your victory. You can't live in victory when you have strongholds holding your life. It makes us addicted. And we've talked about this many, many times over the last few months because So many of our friends and family deal with it. I deal with it every day in my line of work where people are bound in things that they can't break and they don't know how to get out of it. They don't know how to to, to free themselves of it. Strongholds in your life will lead you to those very things and it binds your life. Those strongholds bind your life. Christian strongholds can be fear. It can be resentment. It can be bitterness. 
It could be unforgiveness. You know unforgiveness will bind you? You know, you can get up in the morning and absolutely hate that person that did something to you. They did something, they, 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 they cheated me, they stole from me, they lied to me, they betrayed me, they did whatever, and your day is obsessed and bound by that. You don't have joy, you don't have peace, you, that, that unforgiveness grips and holds your life to where you can't even hardly function in your day. You know what the person you're angry at is doing? They're just going about their day. They have no concern that you are not forgiving them. They don't care. They're doing their own thing. But that thing holds your life. That's why God tells you to get rid of unforgiveness. Forgive people. Lay it down. That's what a stronghold is, is that thing that holds you. Apathy, unbelief, depression, anxiety, lukewarmness, sinful thoughts, lust, pride, greed, drugs, alcohol, pornography, prejudice, materialism, homosexuality, Those are just some of the things that can grip your life and hold you as a stronghold in your life. It can bind you to where you cannot function for for God the way that He has called you to do. And we defeat strongholds by using the right weapons. The wrong weapons don't work. You can do anything you want to with a gun to try to defeat Satan, but you're going to lose. He is not defeated by a gun or a bomb or muscles or anything else other than the Spirit of Almighty God. That's what Satan is crushed with. You want to fight Satan? Get full of the Holy Spirit. You want to live in victory? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, you go up and you shout and dance until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Nah, nah. You get in the Word of the living God and you seek God until the Spirit of the Lord starts to direct and lead your life and fill you. When you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. I believe very much that there is a second work of the Holy Spirit that the book of Acts talks about where you are infilled and empowered and emboldened by the Spirit of God. That doesn't come by accident. It comes when somebody surrenders their life to the Lord. John eighteen thirty six says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my, would my servants fight? If my kingdom was of this world, then would my servants fight? fight. What was going on? They go to the garden. Jesus is about to be betrayed. He's in a situation where he's fulfilling prophecy. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. And Peter, being Peter, pulls out a sword and he's going to fight the armies. And he's going to chop somebody, he chops somebody's ear off. And Jesus said, whoa, hold on a minute. That's not why I'm here. If the circumstances had been correct, if that was where they were living at that point, Jesus could have very well said, go get them, boys, and they would have won the war because they had the power of God behind them. But that was not what Jesus was here for. That's not the purpose of what his, his time on earth was about. And so he stopped Peter, said, put the sword away, calm down, feller, and he picked the ear up and put it back on the guy's head. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I apologize. Uh, that scar will be gone in a day or two. You know, <laughs> that's not, you got to have the right weaponry to win the war. Could you imagine? World War II, we had millions of people 
fighting around the world. We had bombs, we had ships, we had all of that. Could you imagine if they tried to take on the United States military today? With everything that was used on the Allied side or the Axis side during World War II, if they came against the United States today, just in what we have in technological advances, we would wipe them all out without any real problem. Because their weaponry would be meaningless in the face of what we have today. It was technologically advanced in the time. It was uh, state-of-the-art at the time, but it's not today. The right weaponry is necessary when winning this war. Then he says, casting down imaginations or arguments. We live in a day of argument today. Have you noticed that? Everybody wants to argue about everything all the time. Oh my gosh. Intermission. Ah, now I'm ready for another hour. Ah, everybody wants to fight and argue. Funny thing about arguing, does it ever seem to really accomplish anything? I watched a clip a couple days ago where Tommy Laren went on The View. I don't know why anybody in their right mind would go on The View. I mean, you would have to be crazy to go on there. That would be like literally jumping in the lion's den. Now here's little 24-year-old blonde-headed Tommy Laren taking on all these radical left-wing liberals. And, they, and she destroyed them, of course. It's easy to do when you're arguing with a liberal. But she did. She just kind of made them face facts. Do you think any of them stopped being liberals? No. no it, didn't, it didn't affect them in the least bit. They're arguing and fighting and bickering is not going to fix it. Fox News now has... Tucker Carlson, and he's cool because he gets a liberal on there every, every night. He gets a liberal on there and just humiliates them with facts and reason, and they can't stand that. Uh, but have any one of them ever said, you know, Carlton, you're right. I'm, I'm going to stop being a liberal now. It doesn't change anything. It's just arguing. You can argue until you're blue in the face. You ever tried to argue with your teenager? Good luck with that. Yeah, boy, that's effective. It doesn't do anything. But the Bible explains to us that the word of the living God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, breaks that hold of argument. Now, you try to talk to people about the Lord today, what are they going to do? Argue. That's what they're going to do. They're going to argue. But think about it. In your own life, or people that you know, how many people do you know who've ever actually come to God because somebody won an argument? That's not how it usually works. I'm not saying that it can't happen. I, I suppose it can. But you know what actually happened? Is that somewhere, whether it was at church or at home, at a friend's house or wherever it was, listening to the radio in the car or whatever, the gospel all of a sudden hit you in the heart like it had never done before. That's what happened. Arguments didn't matter at that point. You didn't wonder, oh, gee, I wonder if the atheist is right or if God's right. You weren't even thinking about that. You were thinking about the fact that something had just grabbed your heart. You may have heard the same thing a thousand times before that, but this time it finally broke through. This time it finally gave you realization that God is genuinely real and He is working in your life. That's what the gospel does. It breaks that hold of arguments and fighting, and bickering. It doesn't, he says in the Amplified, 
we are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself against the true knowledge of God. Listen to people. Just a couple weeks ago, I did that answer to, what, 10 questions that people have that they claim that we can't answer. I, I, I just tried to answer them. But they, they have this lofty, high opinion that they're so smart. They're so much smarter than Christians. They're so much smarter. Well, I'm too smart to follow the things of God. The gospel breaks into the very heart of man and opens a spiritual ears that they didn't even realize they had. And all of a sudden, it all makes sense. All of a sudden, there's something to this thing. And it starts to, to well up. And, and usually people cry because they realize what, what has happened. They've, there's something going on that is beyond anything they've ever imagined before. Argument is by nature division. God brings it all together into clarity so it makes sense. When the Spirit of God works in your life, you don't care about those silly arguments that are going on. And they're rarely decisive. Arguments are normally nothing but a distraction or a deflection. You remember when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well and he trying to explain to her in, in, in just a masterful way that, that he was the living water and, and she was kind of wondering what was going on and he's talking to her and, and she's like, I don't really understand why you as a Jew are having me as a Samaritan get you some water. And Jesus said, oh, let me explain to you what the living water is. And she was confused and, and she wasn't quite getting it. So, uh, uh, he said, why don't you go get your husband? And she said, well, I don't really have a husband. And he said, that's right. You've had a whole bunch of husbands, and the one you got right now is not your husband. And she said, oh, you know, our leader said we should worship on a mountain, but you guys think we ought to worship in Jerusalem. What about that? That's called a deflection. <laughs> she said, you just hit me where I didn't want to be hit. Let me change this conversation really fast. That's what people do. That's what these arguments are all about, is get you off the point, get you away from what's really... They do it all the time. You ought to be a cop. I pulled one over yesterday, driving a quad up the road, no helmet, no lights, no license, and I knew the guy was suspended. So I pull him over, I walk up there, I said, Richard, what are you doing? And he said, I just bought this, I just got it the other day from this guy. I said, yeah, but you're driving without a license. Yeah, but I just bought this, I'm going to get it registered tomorrow. I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about the fact that you don't have a license. Yeah, but I'm, I'm going to also get the lights on it, and I'm going to get the flag that i got to have. <laughs> he was having trouble understanding. The subject here is the fact that you don't have a license. <laughs> Deflections. They'll push things away. Get away from the point of the conversation. The gospel breaks through all of that. The gospel puts them face to face with the spirit of almighty God to where they can't argue anymore. It doesn't matter. These silly little fights and silly little arguments don't matter anymore because all of a sudden something supernatural happened inside their heart where they're face to face with the living God. They're face to face with a God realizing that they have violated the law of that God and that God must do something about it. And then they realize the grace and wonder of what Jesus did on the cross when he took all those sins that they've committed and he nailed them to a cross and took them for them and walked away from that victorious. That's when it start, It breaks through and it does something. If a person is arguing, they probably aren't ready to receive the Lord. They just don't. When people are ready to get saved, they don't sit and argue. 
And those people that say, well, I have studied all the different world religions looking for truth. There is nobody who's ever studied all the world religions who was looking for truth. <laughs> They're not looking for truth. They're looking for the one they like the best. I like this religion better. It kind of goes along with the way I feel. It doesn't matter how you feel. See, that's what they are. There's a, there's a fellow named Gavin Syme. He lives somewhere over in Soap Lake area. He, you might have seen his videos on YouTube. He, all he does is he gets the law books of the state of Washington and he tries to find some obscure law that he can go and catch a cop on. And so he does it all. That's what he does. Cops fear him. They don't want to deal with him because we deal with this much of the law most of the time and the book is that thick. We don't deal with most of these obscure laws. So he found out, and I think it was actually Stevens County, he found out that there was a law that said that the, the sheriff's department had to provide a box to put an open carry gun into if you were going into the courthouse. Well, most of the time when you go into the courthouse, they just say, hey, you're not supposed to take that gun, go put it in your car. So he went in there and they told him, hey, you can't carry that gun in here, go put it in your car. And he's like, well, no, you got to have a box. And it became a big issue and the sheriff had to come out and it was a big fight. You don't even know the law. You don't even know the law. You're supposed to be the police. You know how it goes. And he does this kind of thing. You know, the world will do that mess to you as a Christian. They're looking through. There are so many people that look through this thing from page to page to page just looking for some way to trap you. Some question that you don't know how to answer. Some problem you don't know how to solve. Some part about God or His Word that you don't quite get. Who cares? I don't care about all that. I don't understand everything about Scripture. I've been preaching this thing for 30 years and I don't understand everything about Scripture. But I do know one thing. My God is real and He saved me from a life that was sending me to a burning hell and He turned my life around. That I do understand. <laughs> they love to operate that way. If a person is to win the battle against strongholds and arguments, every thought... Our goal is to bring every thought into captivity. Well, that's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> Have you ever noticed how almost every stronghold you fight with is a stronghold in the mind? That's what's there. Your alarm goes off in the morning or you just wake up. Where does your mind go at that time? Does it go to good things or does it go to bad things? Is God on your mind or are the problems on your mind? Are the, the things that anger you, the thing, how bad life is or how good life is come to your mind? Which direction does your mind go? And I'm not talking so much about positive mental attitude or thinking on just good thoughts all the time or always looking at the glass half full. I'm, I'm talking about, is your mind on the things of God when you wake up? Because your day will go better if you get the things of the Lord in your mind. The Bible tells you to meditate on His Word and on His law. Meditate on it. Let your mind stay there. I don't know about you, but if I don't meditate on God's Word, I'll usually meditate on somebody who's made me mad. <laughs> You're looking at me like, gee, I didn't know you were human too. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's really easy to allow your mind to go places it should not go. 
And if you get on the things of God and the Word of the living God, those things start to fade away. Those things that you don't need and you don't, don't really want and shouldn't be there start to fade away. They start to go away. That's what we want. Filling ourselves with the things of God's Word. See, the whole thing is about obedience. That's how he wrapped it up in that passage there. We break strongholds in order to obey Christ. Because strongholds, by nature, are designed to keep, through, keep you from obeying God. That's why they're there. The devil puts those strongholds up to keep you from obeying God. Because one of the most powerful tools you have is obedience to God. Look at it on a national scale. America obeys God and she's wonderfully blessed. America starts to reject God and where is she going now? That's how it works. It works in the individual life the same way it works in nations. When a person obeys God, their life goes better. Oh, great, if I obey God, I won't ever get cancer, I won't ever get a speeding ticket, I won't ever... No, that's not what I'm saying. Circumstances don't give you joy. And circumstances don't take away your joy. You, you need to let that sink in. You can have the worst thing in the world happening to you and have victory, or you can have the best blessed life that the world has to give, and you can be miserable. Circumstances is not what gives you joy or peace or victory or even misery. It's not about circumstances. It's how you approach those circumstances. Paul and Silas singing in the prison in the middle of the night, praising, praising God and having a great old party. And that wasn't a prison like we have today, you know, where they have HBO and weights and, you know, all that stuff and eat it in a cafeteria. That wasn't the prison they were in. The things I've read said that those prisons were about three feet tall. They had to bend over all the time. When somebody died, they never removed them. There was no bathrooms. It was nasty, vermin-infested holes that these guys were in. And Paul and Silas are in that nasty mire of filth praising God. And yet you can read on the, in the newspaper every other day or so that another rich, snotty, spoiled celebrity kills themselves. It's not about circumstances. It's not about a balance on a bank account. It's not about what you do or don't have or, or you know, how you feel or don't feel even necessarily. It is about where your heart is with Almighty God. Amen. Casting down imaginations. Taking control of those arguments in order to obey God. We bring thoughts into captivity. I don't want my brain to go there. And I'm going to instead direct it towards God. I'm not going to allow myself to meditate on that. I'm going to turn it around and start to meditate on the things of God. Your life will be so much happier. So much more joyful. I've said it before. I, and you know I like news. I do a lot of news. I do less and less news anymore because I really don't like what I see. So I kind of get sick of it. But I find myself you know, watching news more than I want to. But after a while I have to say that's enough i got to turn this mess off, and I want to just focus on something that is eternal, not temporal. The news from a week ago is old news, but God's Word is eternal and it hasn't changed. It is always the same. Could you stand with me and just spend a moment and worship Him? For the Lord is worthy of worship. <clears throat> Lord, we come to You and realize, God, that we all fight with these strongholds that the enemy wants to put in our lives. 
Churches have strongholds and people have strongholds. I believe nations have strongholds, Lord. We pray against them today. We pray against them. We look to you, Father, and believe you to give us the the strength, the direction, the, the, the boldness to address strongholds in our lives and get rid of them, Lord. Some are so visible, but many are so concealed. Father, I just pray that you'll examine us. Examine our hearts and examine our spirit. Examine our mind. Let us know, Father, where we are before you. Father, for we desire to please you. Hallelujah.